0: this morning. We're going to finish the series that we started last week, and um, we covered two parables, the first two parables in chapter 15, that of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Today we're going to look at the lost son, and, um, and we'll wrap this series up today. And the two, uh, the two aspects that we looked at last week was the sinful nature of man and the saving nature of God. And we're going to see that evident as well in this passage as we look at it this morning um, together. Um, most parents of, of young children have experienced putting their, their little one in front of a mirror. And at first they don't realize that it's them that they're looking at. I think it's another child. I do this all the time with Luke. But he thinks it's another child until he starts to move his hand. And then he sees the hand in the mirror move. And soon he realizes, that's me. That's who I'm looking at. Uh, the Bible is, is like a mirror. At first we look into it and we think we're reading stories of others. And it's interesting how it's portrayed. We may chuckle at their antics and shake our heads and disbelief at their arrogant and wayward ways. But the longer we look the more we begin to notice those characters in the Bible look more like us. Uh, Gradually, we begin to realize with some embarrassment that that's me. The parable of the prodigal son is like that mirror. At first, it seems like an interesting and touching story. But the more you look, the more you begin to see your own heart. Either in the prodigal son or the older brother or in both but the bible is not only the bible not only reveals what we are like it also reveals what god is like and this is most important because we cannot know we cannot know what god is like outside of him revealing himself to us through his word and jesus christ reveals to us what god the father is truly like while it's not a comprehensive picture, the father of the prodigal son gives us an important aspect of God's character. Namely, his abundant mercy and grace that he gives to those in need of repentance. Those who are repentance of sins. So let's look at it together. Here, starting at verse 11. And he said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Uh, keep in the back of your mind as we're going through this, in the beginning of Luke chapter 15, who Jesus is speaking to. Last week we talked about that. He, he's, he's talking to the, the, the Pharisees, to the scribes. Um, He's talking to them. He's also talking to the, to the sinners, those that are, that are coming by. But just keep that in your mind as we, as we go along here. But, but in verse 11 and 12, uh, we see here that the son is asking something that he shouldn't be asking. And, and the very fact that he is asking this is bringing shame upon the father. That he would even dare to ask for such a brazen statement. Uh, The the, the Pharisees and the scribes are listening to Jesus tell this story are immediately on guard. Uh, They're immediately probably taking to some scripture in Old Testament what it says about honoring your father and your mother. In Exodus chapter 20, honor your father and mother mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Uh, Immediately they would go back to the Old Testament and they would would, uh, recall in Deuteronomy chapter 21... Verse seventeen, but he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of the that he has, for he is in the beginning, for he is in the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. So, being the younger son, he didn't even have a right to ask, because it's not even going to go to him. It's going to go to the older son. A double portion will be. So, in, in a way, in the way he even phrased this. Um, this uh, phrase, to his father, um, was very disrespectful, almost in a way of, of wishing that his father would, was dead. And so immediately, the, the scribes and the Pharisees are on guard. Who would, who would dare ask for such a brazen thing? Who, who would do that? But this son did, and not only that, we see that the father gives him a part, gives him his half. And you can imagine the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees at this point are, are livid. Who does that? This father should be shamed. This is so shameful. So You just don't do that. And so um, we see that that's, that's what he does. He divides it up and he gives it to his son. Let's look at um, the next verse there. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and There he squandered his property and in reckless living and When he had spent everything, everything a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs and He was longing. To be fed with the pods, the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. We see here that that sometimes we ask things that we don't know what we're asking. Uh, We see here with this young this young uh, boy asking, this young man asking for his uh, half of his inheritance. Only we see the results of that: only to go out and to squander it, everything, lose everything he has. Um, I'm reminded, and and it's really quite fearful to be in a position outside of God's will, outside of Christ, where, and it speaks to this in Romans 1, where he gives them over to a reprobate mind, where he gives them over to their own uh, fleshly desires and what they want. That's a scary place to be in, outside of the protection, outside of the will, uh, the mercy of, of, of God. Um, And we see a glimpse of that here, him going out, doing his own thing, going out, doing his own way. And um, we see the consequences of his actions. I think it's important to note as well that we all are pleasure seekers. We all desire to do things. It's our sinful nature. God created inside of us a desire to, for, for pleasure. And that's nothing wrong with that it's if it's used in the right way. And we see here a glimpse of that. Hebrews 11 mentions in the passing pleasures of sin and the consequences of it. John chapter 8, verse 31. Truly, truly, I say unto you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And we see that here. It's a gradual spin, a gradual fall here of this of this uh, young young man. There's been a, a saying. Many of you may have heard this before. As a, it's a phrase: "Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to stray, cost you more than you dreamed you would pay, keep you longer than you ever thought you would stay." And each one of those are true here in this incidents with this young man finding himself in a position that he thought he would never be in going after the desires of his heart outside of that of God thinking it would bring him ultimate satisfaction ultimate uh, pleasure happiness only to leave him empty and dry and wanting more and we see that time and time again in our society how many of the rich and famous we read about in the news who, who commit suicide, who are just completely miserable and all kinds of antidepressants? They're, 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 they're not happy. They don't have the joy. I, I think immediately that of, of Solomon in the Bible, who had every single thing you could possibly want. He had it all. He had money, he had riches, he had everything. And at the end of his life, he said, it's all vanity. It's all nothing. It's all for naught. nothing. We see exactly here a portrait of that here in this life of this young man. He thought he could have everything, yet leaves with nothing. Someone uh, wrote this of this uh, statement of this uh, passage here. Here's the rebellion of one who had no relationship to the one who gave him life. No relationship to the one who, gave, uh, who, who uh, held all the riches he could have in his life. No relationship to the one who would give him a future as well as a present. That's how it is with sin. It is a disdain for God's person, God's rule, God's authority, God's will... God's goodness, God's resources. Sin is a desire to run from God, to avoid all responsibility, accountability to God. It is to deny God any place in your life. It is to dishonor God, to take all the loving gifts that are available and squander them as far away from God as you can get. So we see that in the life of this prodigal son. But not only that, he is starting to realize and he's starting to see um, that the world is, is not as friendly to him as he thought it would be. Look what it said there in the, in the last part of that verse of 16. And no one gave him anything. He, he soon found out that what he thought he wanted in the world and what would be his friend and what would look after him uh, cared nothing at all of his interests And what he wanted to do. And that's often the case with the world. The prodigal has left the father because he valued more highly the world. Only to discover that the world did not value him at all. And so, at the end of his rope. At the end of, of, of misery, nothing else to do. I think we see here a first step of repentance in verse 17. Look at 17 together. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Servants, and he arose and came to his father. I think we see here a, a reality check and an awakening, if you will. He's come to the end of his rope and he's realizing there's nowhere else for me to go. I've already hit bottom. Uh, where else can I, I go from here? And he remembers the goodness of his father, he, he remembers his, his mercy. His grace, his love that he had for those that were around him. And I think if anyone were to come to Christ or does come to Christ, it is in those circumstances. It is reaching to a place where you realize there is nowhere else for me to go. I am entirely lost. They have no hope outside of Christ, none whatsoever. And you know and you remember the goodness of God. There's someone who does care about me. There's someone who does love me. He has formed me from this ground. He created me. And He loves me with an everlasting love. This son recognized this. He's going back now. He's remembering the goodness, the graciousness of his father. And he's... Deciding to go back and, and uh, as a as a as a the Pharisees and the scribes listening to this story, listening to Jesus say this, I'm sure thinking one thing. They're probably thinking, oh, "Okay, oh, he's going to have it coming to him. Just wait." Okay, I, I'm sure the father will maybe take him back, but not right away. That just doesn't happen. Uh, maybe they're thinking, okay, well, you know what, I, I'll see him in four days. Just let him, he, he stinks, he smells, he's been with the pigs, uh, he, he's, he's lived his own life, he doesn't have any money, he doesn't have anything to offer. Just let him go, let him sit for a few days, let him think about it. Uh, let him go through the village and be ridiculed and mocked. Uh, let everyone make fun of him because of what he, do, he, he, he did, leaving everything he had, everything he known. Uh, Let everyone make fun of him. Let everyone mock him. He's going to have to come down. He's going to have to bow down before me. He's going to have to kiss my feet. He's going to have to to prove. There's going to maybe lashings. Maybe he's going to get a beating. And there's definitely going to be work. He's going to have to work for decades. He's going to have to make up for all, all of this. Reconciliation... Will not come unless there's restitution. That's, I'm sure, what the Pharisees and Scribes were thinking. That there's got to be something done. I mean, because that's how it operated. That's how they worked back then. That's what they did. Notice, notice what he does. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran, and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I, um, it's, it's really quite shameful what the father did. The Pharisees and scribes looking at this would have thought who, no one does that. First of all, no one in the Middle East during this time, a man, would ever dare run. You, you just didn't do it. I know that seems odd to us today, but back then in the Middle East, no nobleman would run, period. It, it was it was, it was was counted as shameful. Because in order to run, you had a long robe. In order to run, you had to, to draw up that robe, showing your legs, which then was shameful. It was shameful to show your legs in the Middle East during this time, especially a nobleman, someone high up, you just didn't do it. So, so this father would, would, would take up his robe and he would take off running after his son into the city, into the village. Bible says afar off. So they're thinking this whole time, what is he doing? Because you just don't do that. Why? Why would the father do this? Why would he create and bring shame to himself? Because he recognizes that the son is coming through the village. He's coming through where people are going to mock and scorn. Bring shame and ridicule on him. And the father runs to town, through the town, to take his shame. To embrace the boy because he receives the shame. The father goes to protect him. The shame That should be placed on him, the boy, for leaving, and doing all the kinds of living, going through all that he did, all the wickedness, the shame that should have been on him, the father will take. He takes it by running after him, by bringing him back. And I'm sure they're just baffled. Why? What in the world? And And it goes further. Not only does he do that, he goes a step further. He gets a robe. Um, he gets a, a robe. Uh, look what it says in verse uh, 20. We just we just looked at it. Um, he takes a robe and he takes a ring. And he takes a shoe, some shoes. Uh, robe uh, signifies that of dignity. It would have been a robe. It would have been a special robe that, that he would only wear at special occasions. Um, and he, he took that. And he places it on this boy, showing dignity. Then he goes and he takes a ring and puts on his finger. And a ring that would be placed on his finger would not be just for looks. Um, it was used during that time to stamp in soft wax the family symbol of an official document. This was authority uh, to act in behalf of the father. He can, he can signify the Father's will in any document. It was almost like giving the keys to the kingdom. And Then he was given shoes on his feet. The slaves, the, the, the hired men, the, the poor during that time were, were not allowed shoes. Those with shoes were people who had responsibility. So, so this boy coming back from all that he'd done was, was, was given his dignity. Of the Father. He was given his authority. And he was given and share of his responsibility. My how grace triumphs over sin. Grace gives us the full dignity of God. As we are clothed in his own righteousness. The full authority of God. To act on his behalf. Consistent with his revelation. And responsibility. To carry out his work. In his name. In the power of the spirit. And if that wasn't enough. They go for the goat. They go for the cow. Bring the cow. Kill the, the, the fat calf. That was a sign of wealth. They would keep a, a, a calf out. Uh, separate. Uh, just for the older son. On a special big occasion. Maybe his marriage. And so they took this cow. And. And had a big uh, party. Invited everyone over. The son has has come home. Much like in verse 7. Where there was joy over one sinner who repents. The 99 persons who need not repentance. When we we looked at verse 7 of this chapter with the sheep who who came back. And the joy, the jubilee, the the, the party that they were able to enjoy. Also the, the lost coin that we looked at. That they found and there was there was joy among and before the angels in heaven. We looked at that and talked about that. Here we have the same thing. There's joy of the lost son who, who, who was lost, who was out doing his own thing, and who came back to the Father. If you'll notice, something as I was reading this, he had rehearsed what he was going to say to his father before he met his father he said treat me as one of your hired servants or make me as one of your hired servants look he, he just wanted the low anything you can bring me back i don't care I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do but notice when he comes to him In verse 21, he says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He leaves out that part. He doesn't say it. Why? Because you can't earn God's grace. There's nothing you can do to earn his favor. And to do so and to think that you could would be an insult to his grace and compassion. We see here a beautiful picture of the father, not only withholding what he deserves, but giving him far more than what he deserves and that of grace. And then we're introduced in verse 25 to someone else, the older son. Look at that together, if you will. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother is, has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But, the, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. We see here that um, the son is it, it, really a question of mine is where was he at during this whole Whole, whole ordeal. Actually, back in this time in the Middle East, it was the older son's responsibility to, to throw this party, to orchestrate this party. Where, where was he at? Why was he not consulted during this? Why didn't you tell him? Because he knew he didn't have a relationship with his brother or his father. He was just there. He just did his chores, what he was supposed to do. But he had no heart for his brother. He had no heart for his father, no care, no true care. And we see that evident here and more evident so as we read it further. And so um, look at verse 20. uh, We'll continue reading verse 29. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet yeah, you've never gave me a young goat, and I might celebrate with my friends. But when, but when this son of yours came, who, was devout, who has devoured your, your property and with prostitutes, you, you killed the fatted calf for him. We see here a great look of the Pharisees and the scribes. This, this if you will, is them. I, I, I've been here. I, I've done what it, it is the it is the paramount. What you would think of of the legalist. I, I, I've done this. I've done my duties. What I'm supposed to do. I've checked all the boxes. I have done everything. But my heart wasn't in it. I did it out of duty and not out of love, not out of devotion. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter to the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We see that picture here with the older son. Which is representing that of the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees. And then look at verse 31. And he said to his son. You're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate. And to be glad. For this your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost. And is found. This all could have been yours but you did it all out of duty and not of devotion. You had no heart for me. Your heart was far from me. You just cared about yourself. Your, your lost son, your lost brother, yes, he lived a, a, a terrible, wicked life, but he found that that was ultimately not his joy. That did not ultimately bring him joy. He repented and came back to me. And we see the loving mercy and grace the Father has. And it ends at verse 32. And you almost could scratch your head and think, well, where is verse 33? Because the story isn't complete. It, it, it leaves off there with you wondering, well, what's going to happen? What, what about the older brother? So how about how about we write our own ending? What about this? The older brother, seeing the compassion and mercy of his father and desiring a reconciliation, confessed his sins of hypocrisy and asked his father for forgiveness, and he was embraced and kissed and taken into the banquet and seated at the father's table. That's a pretty good ending. But the truth of the matter is. The ending's already been written. The ending is. The older son, upon hearing this, the older sons being outraged at his father, picked up a piece of wood and beat his father to death. Because it would only be a few months before the Pharisees. Would kill him by nailing him on the wood. And they would congratulate themselves what they had done on the act of honor and protected their people and their nation and religion from the one who came to shame it. And in the language of the parable, the son was striking the father with crushing, killing blows, saying, You are evil, you are shameful. You're evil. Someone needs to end the shame and bring honor to this family. And I'll do it by ridding this family of such a shameful father. And he says it and he beats him to death. And that's how the story ended. And the final irony is that the father who should have beaten the son is beaten to death by the wicked son and the greatest act of evil. Ever. And that thought. And they thought. They were being righteous. And they didn't understand. Love mercy and grace. Yet the saving gracious. Father in Christ. Uses that murder. As the means of which. He purchases our salvation. It all ends. At the cross. Where he and Christ. Endured death despising the shame for us. He took the shame so that you and I could be at the celebration that brings Him joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much.